All right, uh, let me pray for us, and let's jump into the actual Bible this morning. Jesus, we thank you for uh, what it is that we get to celebrate this morning. We do pray for this time, God, that in the next several minutes, God, that you'd use your word to penetrate our hearts, that you'd speak to us. I thank you for those that are being baptized this morning, the amazing work that you're doing in their lives. The fact that we get to celebrate that with them today is just unbelievable to me. And uh, Jesus, I just pray that your hand be upon the rest of the service. Anoint it for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, uh, I wanted to remind us as we sort of jump in that we are not here to mourn the past, but we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. And if that was the one and only thing that we pondered on this morning, the one and only thing we talked about this morning, that in and of itself would be enough. It's the cornerstone and the foundation of, of our faith. Like literally what we're talking about this morning is the foundation of everything that we believe. And so today, what I want to talk about is maybe a, I want to go a little bit different direction with the message this morning, but I want to talk about why the resurrection is so important. We, we know as followers of Jesus, even if you didn't grow up in the church, even if you don't profess to follow Jesus, um, we, we've heard about the resurrection. Most of, in this, of us in this room would say that the resurrection in and of itself is amazing. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead is absolutely incredible. But it seems like we often talk about the why with regards to Jesus' death, like why it was so important. We talk a lot about how his death paid the price for the sins of the world, which is amazing. How his death satisfied God's righteous anger towards sin. How death gave us the gift of forgiveness. But we don't often talk as much about why the resurrection in and of itself is so crucial and so important. Like what is it and what does it mean? How does the resurrection change our life? How does it affect us, impact us? Even on Easter, it seems like the general conversation for us gathered around our tables with our Christian friends is around the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, which is true. Like God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. That's an amazing feat that was accomplished. And so this morning, we're celebrating that and we're gonna sing about that even in a little bit as we sing worship songs this morning. But what I've been processing as of late, uh, as a Jesus follower, and what I wanna present to you guys this morning is why. Like why is it so important? What does it mean for us beyond the fact that it proves God's power? Why does it matter for you and I sitting here right now in 2023 in Coeur Idaho? There's a book that I've been reading while I've been gone on this topic of resurrection. And it's been really helpful and informative for me if you feel like doing a little extra credit reading uh, in the next couple weeks. The book's called Surprised by Hope. It's written by a man named N.T. Wright. An amazing book. It's a bit of a deep dive on the topic of resurrection and, and heaven and our lives today as part of the mission of the church. It's a great read. So I encourage you to go check it out if you like to read. But for today, there's one passage that we're going to look at, and it's kind of a long passage, but I'm not going to teach through the whole thing. We're going to pick sections out of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, please just open them to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll also have the sections on the screen behind me. But I want to just read through some sections of this text this morning and talk about why the resurrection matters for you and I today. So, are you with me? You good? You're awake? Okay. 
We're celebrating a resurrection life. You have no right to be dead this morning, right? We're on this. Verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, and I want you to, I want you to take in these passages this morning. If you gotta close your eyes and listen, go ahead. If you gotta read along, read along. But I want you to take this in. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so what Paul is saying is that the gospel that was given to him, the gospel that was preached to Paul, he's passing it on to the, the church in Corinth. He's passing it on to others. He's passing it on to us. Exactly as Paul received it, he's passing it on. He didn't change anything. He didn't add anything to it. What he's communicating is literally the pure, unadulterated gospel. He goes on to say in verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Some had passed away at that time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul's referring to himself. So Paul's reminding the, the Corinthians about the core essentials, like the concrete truths of the gospel. As Paul heard it and as it was preached to him, then he preached it to others, that Christ died for their sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he was re resurrected, that he did all of this according to the scriptures, just as the scriptures said that it would happen, but then that Jesus appeared to people, and he didn't just appear to Peter, he didn't just appear to the 12 disciples, but to over 500 other people who saw Jesus alive, made eye contact with him. And then Paul tells us that many of them are still alive at the time that he's actually writing this passage. And his point being that if you had any doubt about the resurrection at all, it's not that you just have to trust the disciples' word for it and just believe what they said, but that there's actually hundreds and hundreds of people who saw him and they're alive at the same time that they were and that they could go and that they could find them and they could ask them themselves. And so Paul's establishing sort of this baseline gospel truth about Jesus' death and his resurrection and his, and his appearance to people because apparently during this time there were some people in and around the church in Corinth who were saying that the resurrection was not a thing. The resurrection didn't happen. Resurrection doesn't happen, is what they're saying. And this is what Paul kind of addresses in the rest of this passage. And so jump ahead to verse 12 with me. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which it is, that's the gospel that Paul preached, that Christ is raised, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. We're basically liars if this isn't the case because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've just died. There's nothing left for them even after their death on this earth. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Pretty happy passage, right? (laughs) So Paul's like, we've been preaching this gospel to you about Jesus from the beginning. We've not changed it. And here's the gospel, died, buried, risen, according to the scriptures. And so he's like, how can you say that there's no resurrection? And if there's no such thing as resurrection and Christ was not actually raised, then this whole thing that we call Christianity, this whole thing that we call following Jesus is useless. Without this, it's just useless. Our faith is useless. He's like, we're liars. We're we're still dead in our sins. Meaning our sins have not even been atoned for. There is no forgiveness. They have not been covered. If this whole thing is just a fallacy, then none of this is legit. And what are we doing here this morning? Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death, by a man has, also, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So Paul is kind of fighting back against these anti-resurrection doubters, like these haters. And he says that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. And then he kind of moves into this really amazing theology about Adam and Jesus, right? He says that through Adam, we humans inherit like bodily decay. We, we inherit sin and death. Thank you, Adam, right? Thank you so much for that. Like if you're discouraged with your wrinkles this morning and the fact that your body hurts, you can thank our brother Adam for that. But just by being human, we're born with a bent towards sin. We're literally born with this timer that's counting down our days and our bodies are deteriorating before our eyes. However, in the same way that death comes simply by being human like Adam, listen to this, so does life come through Jesus. That if Adam can pass on to us the nature that we have towards sin and the inevitability of our death, How much more can Jesus pass on to us his life if we're actually with him? And then Paul brings up this really, really important metaphor that kind of helps us understand part of the nature and the importance of the resurrection. He calls Jesus the first fruits. Now, I'm definitely no farming expert, but this term first fruit is a harvest term. It's the produce that that first arises from the ground at the time of the harvest. And in Jewish culture, listen to this, this is amazing. In Jewish culture, the first of their crops was to be dedicated to the Lord as as an offering of thanksgiving. For instance, Israel was commanded in Leviticus 23 to bring an offering of first fruits, like their first fruits, in a festival called the Feast of First Fruits. And this festival began on the third day after Passover. Listen to this. This festival begins on the third day after Passover, ironically, not coincidental, and came before Pentecost. 
And historically, this feast started the day after their Sabbath. It started on Sunday, after their Sabbath was done on Saturday. So it would begin on Sunday, and then it corresponded with this day when Israel was brought out of Egypt and was God's firstborn. So in Israel's history, this feast was meant to remind Israel of the Exodus and how this event confirmed for them their status as being the firstborn of Yahweh the firstborn of their God. There's all these crazy things overlapping in this passage. Isn't this awesome? And so in addition to its timing being spot on and the the symbolism of the feast foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ, in, in Leviticus 23, the priest lifted up the offering and he waved it before the Lord. The imagery here is crazy. So he would take this first fruit offering and he would lift it up and he would wave it before the Lord. The the fruit that came from the earth was literally lifted up before the Lord. The seeds that had died in the ground had risen and they had been given new life and they were now being presented to God. And so clearly like from the day after the Sabbath, which corresponds to Jesus' resurrection day, And then from the symbolism of this feast, it's evident what kind of picture that Paul is painting in using language like first fruits. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the harvest, a harvest of living souls who will be raised to life because of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is not just another resurrection. It's better than that. It's actually the first fruit of a harvest that will literally cover the earth and include believers for more than 2,000 years. So Paul says, in Jesus, we have seen the first fruit and now know that we ourselves are the harvest that is to come, that we share in the power and the life that raised Jesus from the dead. The power is in us, and so we too, like Jesus, will come to fruition. Paul goes on in verse 35 to kind of take a guess at at the next question that the people are probably going to ask based on what he's saying. Like, how does this work? How does resurrection work? What's what's it going to be like? What's the resurrection body like? And you see this in verse 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Thank you for these examples. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind of flesh for animals, another for birds, another for fish. In case you didn't already know that, all of those things are wrapped in different kinds of flesh. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Okay, so in keeping with this fruit metaphor that Paul is giving, Paul talks about how seeds are designed to die in the ground. And in their death, they actually sprout new life. Life that is something far, far greater than the seed was itself. Something new comes. And so what Paul says is that in the same way that there are seeds and fruit, there are also earthly bodies, a seed, and heavenly bodies, the fruit. And then he elaborates on this a bit more in verse 42. He says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. 
What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, it's raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, the image of the man of dust, listen to this, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. These bodies that we live in, this flesh that we are wrapped in today, it's perishable in case you didn't. You needed that reminder this morning. It's perishable. We're literally experiencing decay on a daily basis. And we're experiencing death so much right now. Like look around us at this world. Death is so prevalent. But what will literally come back back up out of the ground of your remains is imperishable. It's glorious, it's powerful, right? And in the same way that we share the image of Adam now, and we share in his humanity, and we share in his bent towards sin and the, the inevitability of our death, how much more will we share in the life of Jesus as we put on the image of God? So this is why, in part, the, the, the resurrection is like epically important, church. It's step one to becoming like Jesus, and it's proof that it's going to happen. We have to follow Jesus in death and dying to sin and dying to ourselves so that we can also follow him in his resurrection and be raised to share in his new life as well. And it's kind of weird maybe, but my point for you to think about on this Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, is this. I want you to ponder the fact that you are a seed. You're a seed. You're a seed that will perish into the ground. But then, like, because God is powerful enough to raise Jesus as the first fruit of resurrection life, we have proof of what's to come. We have an example of what's coming for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, which is a physical, bodily resurrection that awaits us. Like, what an apple is to an apple seed, we will be to what our bodies are right now. And I know this is sort of strange to think about, but I just want you to imagine yourself as if you're looking in a mirror this morning. And I want you to think about the things that make your body look and feel human. What are those things? Think about your health. Think about your heartbeat. Think about your breath. Think about the non-physical parts of your existence this morning. Like your mind and your attitude, your tendencies. Think about your behaviors. Like think about every part of our human existence that has been touched by sin. Like every part of it. Every part of our human existence that bears the marks of Adam. And as we're told, sin brings death and sin brings decay. In our very own church right now, in our congregation, we have deadly illnesses that people have upon their bodies. There's cancer, there's disease, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's injuries, there's broken bodies, there's broken hearts. There's people with aches and pains and things that we simply cannot fix and things that we cannot escape on this 
life, in this life. But to put it really simply, there are things about ourselves right now that we do not like. Anybody? I got so sick in India, and I laid there in a the bed thinking, I hate this. I hate that my body has this proclivity, that it just gets ridden with sickness. And if you're like me, like even as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about a massive list of things about myself that I just don't like, things that I wish I could change, things that are not how they're supposed to be. And I'm sure that you have that list of things about yourself this morning that you don't like as well. And I just want to say that this isn't good. This list isn't good. It's the curse of sin. This is the result of Adam. It's fallenness. It's a brokenness of epic proportions that is pervasive through generations through history. It's called sin. And not like the bad things that we do type of sin. I want to clarify that. But it's this universal cancer that has affected every part of our world. Like it's that kind of sin where it's just in everything. It's around us. These human lives that we have now are like a seed that needs to go down into the ground. It has to die so that the resurrection life of Jesus can show us what we will become. And as he was the first fruit, as he was the indication of the harvest that's coming, the proof that the life and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead will also resurrect us. In the same way, the same way that we carry Adam's humanity right now, the bonus is that we will also bear the image of Jesus. And this is something that actually starts right now. Like right when you decide to follow Jesus, the moment you place your allegiance and your faith in Jesus Christ, this process begins. However, it will not be completed or finished until the day that we are raised like Jesus. I think this is what Paul meant in Philippians 1, 6, when, when he says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, that it has started and that it will continue to progress, but it will not be finished until we are raised like Jesus. We have new, regenerated hearts as followers of Jesus. We have the Spirit of God at work within us, helping us wage war against the brokenness in this world that you and I live in. And we can and do become more like Jesus in this life. But, but there's a specific moment where you become, in an instant, at the end of your life, that you become what you will be in that resurrection. You're taken up with Jesus. And I want to read about this in the final section here in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50, he says this. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, that we shall not all sleep. Paul is saying that when what's about to happen happens, not everybody will have died yet. That Jesus will come back, that there's a time when Jesus will come back and some will be alive during that season. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be put on, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, that death is swallowed up in victory. 
that death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? And then there's this taunting song that, 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 he, that he quotes. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our victory, what we celebrate today, it's through Jesus Christ. Our life is literally through Jesus. That's what we celebrate on Easter, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, the first fruit of what is to come for us who have placed our faith in Jesus and pledged our allegiance to him as King and Savior of our lives. We're reading about our future and today we're celebrating the proof of our future in Jesus. One of the statements that N.T. Wright makes in that book, Surprised by Hope, is this. Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. That's what we're celebrating today. And Romans 10.9 says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Like the, the, this belief and assurance in the resurrection is a key component to our being brought into God's family and saved. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And this salvation promise is not simply a, your sins are forgiven, brother, kind of promise. It's also a, God will raise you as well type of promise. It's not just your sins are forgiven, it's that you will rise again. The resurrection life of Jesus will bring you back and give you a body that you could only have in Christ Jesus. And so if you haven't thought about this before, or maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus, or if it's been a while since you've pondered this yourself, I just ask you to consider this God who has done something about the brokenness that you feel every single day. A God that has done something about the brokenness that you see and that you feel and that you experience in this world. He's not a God that's distant. He is not a God that's uncaring. He himself entered into our brokenness in Jesus who took on our brokenness on the cross. Every single ounce of what you feel, the brokenness and the death and the weight of the sin in this world, he took it upon himself. He took it to the grave with him in his death. The seed was buried. It went down into the ground to do what? produced new life when it came back up. And that's the gospel of Jesus. We as Americans are constantly fighting for longevity in our life. If I could just live another 10 years, 20 years, if I could get all my supplements in order and work out plenty and get so healthy that I could prolong my life, well, guess what? Prolong it all you want and you'll still die. And someday, you will look Jesus in the face and give an account for your life. And there will be those who choose to deny Christ their whole life, to be buried into the ground and to never produce life again. And there will be those who in this life, even in the midst of their mortal bodies decaying and seeing sin prevalent in this world, feeling the weights of the brokenness and everything that they're immersed in, will choose to follow Jesus and inherit his life that he's giving them that will be a seed that goes into the ground and dies, but in order to spring up new life that could only have been produced by God himself. So church, 
this is the story that we're living in right now. That, that he rose from the dead, that he claimed victory over this brokenness that we experience, and that he's promising and proving to us in his resurrection that there's a renewed and restored world to come in Jesus Christ. And that there's a renewed and restored, resurrected human existence for all of us that put our faith and our trust in him. This is the story that we're living in. Now, it's a reality. It's not just a story that you read about in a book. It's actually true. And it's literally the very air that we breathe right now. So today, we celebrate the proof that it's happening. We celebrate the proof that it's already started. And so we want to keep doing that. And in a little bit, we're even going to sing songs. And the worship band's going to come up. And we're going to declare these promises about the resurrection life of Jesus. We're going to continue to celebrate the first fruit of the resurrection of Jesus. Some of us in our midst this morning have chosen to be baptized. What an amazing picture for us this morning. As we talk about the seed being buried and going down and dying in order to bring new resurrected life through the power of Jesus. That's what they're doing as they go down in these waters of baptism this morning. Paul talks about baptism as not merely being an act or some sort of a religious rite. But, but a representation of the greater spiritual realities of being unified in Christ Jesus by the Spirit through faith. He says this, and I'll end with this, Colossians 2, verses 12 through 15. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Can, can I get amens? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this morning. I want to pray right now, and I want to pray for those of you who have never received the, res the resurrection life of Jesus. Maybe today's the day. But there's some of you that are like me in the sense that I've been in seasons of my life where I profess to follow Jesus, and I still did not understand the weight, the brevity, the impact of the resurrection life of Jesus upon my life. It was a formality. It was something that I did. It was a box that I checked not something that I lived. There's many of you in this room this morning that are like that. I'm just gonna be honest. You call yourself Christians when Christian is a box that you check and a formality that you enter into, but not a life that you've entered into through the resurrection life of Jesus that has changed you and transformed you, that has allowed the seed that is you to die to itself and go into the ground so that Jesus could resurrect something even better. That's what he has for you this morning. And if you're here this morning, and maybe this morning's the morning, like you're like, I'm gonna profess Jesus with my mouth, believe in my heart that he rose again from the dead. Man, Jesus is calling you to himself this morning. Just like the priests would take that first fruit and they would wave it before people, God took his son up upon a cross and he waved him over us. He presented him to us on a cross, dead, so that new life could be produced for us through him. And this morning, 
He's drawing you, calling you to himself. And you have an opportunity to be the one that will be for him and with him or the one that will choose to be against him. There's some of you in this room, three to be exact, who have decided to be baptized this morning. And I'm just gonna say right now, if you haven't been baptized, but you've professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in his heart that he rose again from the dead, that his Holy Spirit lives within you, today's your day. I don't care if you're in jeans, I don't care if you're in slacks, I don't care if you're in your suit. The water is open and it's ready and available. And what an amazing picture that we get to partake in today before his church to say, I choose him as Lord and King and master of my life. There's nothing else that I will devote allegiance to in my life except for him. I'm 100% all in and I want you all to know it. That's what you're doing. So I wanna pray. I wanna, I wanna pray for us. And, uh, and then I'm gonna invite Angela up here to kind of, um, we're gonna have some people sharing some testimonies. People are gonna get ready to be baptized. Um, but if that's you this morning, then I would just tell you, as we begin to gather to baptize people, gather underneath that basketball hoop. If you're here this morning, you wanna be baptized. We have towels available for you. We have you know, Anthem Speedos you can wear. It's amazing. You know, it's just like <laughs> the coolest opportunity. Um, but today's your day. Today's your day. I don't wanna leave this moment without giving some of you the opportunity of a lifetime to profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior of your life. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for this moment, this brief moment that we get here this morning. I thank you for the honor and the privilege of serving a God that just didn't tell us to follow him, a God that just didn't tell us to go through the formalities, but a God that actually said, I will go first, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, not to just die, but to take the sins and the brokenness, the weight of it all, upon himself, to bury it in the ground, and that through his resurrection, there would be an opportunity for us to step into that same resurrection life. And Lord, I know that there's some in this room who feel buried in life. They feel buried by the weight of their sin. They feel buried by their human existence. And there's more that you have for them this morning, Jesus. And so I'd ask, Lord, that you work in their hearts, that they be reminded that the story is not finished in their life. That you're working, you're moving, that you got them to this point, that you gave them breath in their lungs, these eyes to see, these ears to hear, the feet to get here this morning for a specific reason, and I pray that they would take that opportunity to profess with their mouth that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, to believe in their hearts that you aren't just a God that told us to follow him, but that you are a God sent his son to the cross for our purposes, for our benefit, for our sins to be buried with him. And we believe this morning, Jesus, that it was your resurrection life that brought him back to life off that cross that actually exists for us today to partake in. And so I pray, Jesus, for those being baptized, that this moment would be memorialized for them, that they'd remember this time. You'd solidified it in their hearts and minds because I know once they leave these walls this morning, there's a world out there that will convince them that what they did is dumb and that they need to walk away and that the weight of things is too strong. Jesus, may your spirit arm us. May your spirit well up within us. May you protect us and watch over us and move mightily in your church. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in your people. And we give all of this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, as Chris mentioned, we got some people that are going to be baptized, so they can go ahead and make their way to go get changed for that. And if there's anyone that's deciding right now that you want to do that, you can come up to the Connect table, and Sarah will help you get a T-shirt. But while they're getting changed and transition, I'm going to invite several people up here that are going to, uh, from our church, that want to testify about why the gospel is good news to them. Um, but I also, while they're doing that, want to invite any of you if you have a friend or a family member or someone in your community that's being baptized, we want to invite you to come right on down here to the right and just be ready to be close and take pictures and cheer your brothers and sisters on. So this morning we're going to be baptizing Greg Richards and Maddie Sanford and Jet Drosh. So if, if you are here for them, we invite you to go ahead and make your way over to the right side of the room so that you can be up close. And we're going to pass this off to Noel. All right. So to start, the gospel is good to me because I am unworthy and grace changes everything. The gospel is really important to me because it gives me hope when I struggle with depression and it's a hope that uh, provides spiritual, supernatural joy. The gospel is good news for me because it means that I don't have to have it all figured out. I can trust him, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to make my path straight. I can throw all my worries on him and he will give me rest, Matthew 11. What he expects out of me is love, to love him and to love others. Matthew 22 and John 13. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that has been made real and true in my life. His mercies are brand new every morning. He is the King of kings, and he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice. He is my strength and my song, Isaiah 12. And he is doing something new every day. So the gospel is the hope my soul grasps for in my darkest moments and brightest joys. It's the process of restoration with God, myself, humanity, and all of creation. It's experiencing my creator whisper, beloved, I am with you always. You carry my heartbeat within you. The gospel is good news because it's everything to me. Um, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually available to us every day to overcome sin, to live victoriously for him, and to have that hope of looking forward to living with him forever. The gospel is good news to me because in spite of my aimless strivings for acceptance, the Father looks at me clothed in the righteousness of the Son and declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What relief for a striving soul. The gospel is good news to me because I don't have to be good enough. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees his son. And that's, as Carl said, just a relief um, that I just get to live and be with the Father. And the rest will just happen as he wants it. The gospel is good news to me uh, for everything, but today, 
It's good news to me. Because cancer has taken a pretty wide swath through our family. I'm sorry. And in the process, the gospel is good news because it has given comfort to the process. And it's given hope for healing. And it's given us confidence for ultimate healing and deliverance. The gospel is good news to me because it brings me freedom from addiction and shame and continually gives me strength to live into the joy that God has for me in life, regardless of the struggles uh, that come my way. I am no longer a slave to sin. My identity is found in being a child of God. Through Jesus' healing forgiveness, I have the ability now to take what once were my greatest struggles and help others. The gospel is good news to me because death itself has a grave and eternal life with God can start today. Uh, the gospel is good news to me because uh, because I spent a lot, a lot of my life riddled with uh, guilt and shame, and I no longer have to do that. I can uh, stand boldly and confidently in who Christ has uh, created me to be, and I'm free in Jesus. The gospel is good news to me because I know that it doesn't matter my sin. It doesn't matter my shortcomings. The fact is, is that I've been given the opportunity through Jesus to live with God forever. Mm -hmm. 